Hey, greetings. Uh, my name is Ezra. I'm the lead pastor at Riverside Community Church, and uh, I am so grateful that you are watching this video online, wherever and whenever uh, you're doing it. Uh, it means so much uh, to us as a church to be able to connect with you through this medium. And so we're just grateful. Thank you for tuning in. In the first 30 seconds here, I just want to tell you exactly where we're going today. We're going to be talking about joy in times of uncertainty. And uh, before you turn it off and say, oh, okay, another, uh, you know, a bunch of platitudes and somebody's going to throw some scripture verses at me, that, I'm not here to do that. Uh, I get as annoyed by those uh, as you do when you're going through Facebook and you see those things that people post that just say, well, if you trusted in God, you wouldn't have any worry. It, uh, that's for somebody else, right? Uh, what I believe is that, that the Bible is, is the, the heart and, and the thoughts and the mind and the truth of God put down you know, on paper uh, for us to be able to read and to understand. And, and he really wants us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. He wants it to be helpful. Uh, the Bible is not meant to be something to beat people down and say, well, hey, if you were just better, if you just tried harder, man, that's, that's not what this is all about. Uh, it can be used that way by people, maybe with wrong motives or, or maybe just a lack of understanding. But, but my hope and my prayer and my desire today is to really give you something tangible to grab a hold of on how you can have joy in the midst of uncertainty. Uh, and so, so that's where I'm going today. I just want to begin with a, a little bit of uh, good news. Uh, there's, there's some things to celebrate in this season. Uh, one of them is the, uh, the number of views that our, our sermon from last week had. We reached more people with that sermon uh, than we've uh, ever reached on a Sunday morning here at church. There was more views, more households engaged with it. Uh, and so it's amazing how God can work in the midst of of trials and adversity. If you listened to the sermon last week, it was all about how a wide door for, for ministry was opened and there were many adversaries. And so we're seeing that playing out in real life that in the midst of adversity and all these troubles and difficulties, that there is this wide door for ministry that's opened up. And I'm, I'm celebrating that along with uh, the Facebook Live Bible studies we've been doing. And, and I had a, a video conference Bible study last Tuesday night, and it was one of the best Bible studies I think I've ever been a part of. Uh, people just sharing openly. We were sharing our testimonies. Tears were shed. Uh, it was just beautiful, and, and, and all this is happening in the midst of, of all these trials and difficulties. I can even praise God that there's been no squirrel activity in my car since last Wednesday, <laughs> and uh, I shared that in, in the message last week, how these squirrels just keep trying to build nests in my engine compartment, and even after the, the sermon last week on Sunday and Monday, they kept going back overnight and trying to rebuild the nest, so I finally, uh, on Wednesday morning, I went in, I pulled the panel down at the bottom of the car, uh, under the engine compartment. I scraped every bit, every trace of that squirrel nest out of there that I could. I sprayed it down with peppermint oil, and then I prayed, and I said, hey, God, I did my part. I did what I could, but I need you to do your part. I need you to control. These, these guys are your creation. I brought it to the Wednesday prayer group, and um, by the grace of God, uh, the squirrels are gone, so I don't feel like I'm living in a Geico commercial anymore, right? <laughs> battling the squirrels in a really personal way. And yet, in the midst of of this, you know, and I'm sure you have good news, the good things that are happening in your life, good, good family time, but, but in the midst of that, man, there's also been some really hard and difficult things, uh, things that we're all experiencing. Uh, and, then, and then on a real personal note, last Saturday I recorded my message. I finished. I had gotten a text. I went to the hospital, uh, and I met up with the Kloss family and had to walk through one of the most difficult things uh, anyone could ever go through, which was, uh, was seeing uh, Jeff, who's, who's 51, uh, had, had a stroke. He had some complications uh, that kind of kept going out of the stroke. And ultimately, by Saturday night, they reached the point where they realized that, uh, that he wasn't going to make it. And um, to, to watch their family say goodbye, uh, man, it was so, so difficult, so heart-wrenching. And he did ultimately pass on Sunday. 
And uh, so, man, as a church, we are just grieving with them and, and trying to, to offer them comfort and, uh, and come alongside of them. Uh, it just really snaps your life into perspective. Uh, in addition to all the, the things that are going with businesses shutting down and people really being uh, homebound uh, while we try and get through this virus, uh, it's just snapped so much of our reality into perspective and, and, and removed this illusion that we think that we have control over our life, but we really, there's so little that we have control over. And I know you're sitting there thinking right now, like, hey, Ezra, I thought this was going to be about joy in the midst of uncertainty. And, 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 but the thing is, real joy comes from, from real knowledge. If we, if we don't really look at the situation that we're in, then, then joy is fake or it's, it's artificial. It's not, it's not, it doesn't push all the way down. But when we have a, a true vision of where we're at and what's going on, that's when, when joy can really come in and it can be lasting and it can be so firm and it can be so solid. And so I'm going to look, uh, uh, we're centering around a Philippians chapter one today. And there's this verse in there that, that many people are familiar with. It says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you ask most people that are Christians, whether you're a Christian watching this or not, uh, most Christians, that's a verse they're familiar with. Hey, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But, but how many of us really understand what that means? It's, it, it's, it's a good thing to throw out there as a meme on Facebook or, or to share with somebody. But man, how many of us have really taken the time to dig in to understand? And so my hope is that that's what we're going to have a chance to do, to really kind of understand that in a different way this morning. So let's do this. I'm going to pray uh, just to ask God to do what only he can do, which is open up his, his word and, and show it to us in a way that, that we can understand it and apply it. And then, uh, and then we're just going to dig in, and there, there's four things that I want to show you out of this passage. So join me in prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning uh, in our homes, on our phones, wherever we are. We come to you. Uh, we ask you to speak to us. Uh, you know that you, you can speak through anything. And uh, and so, God, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak through me this morning and you would speak through your word and that you would uh, reach people wherever they're at and speak uh, words of hope and comfort and life and peace to them. Meet each need. Give us ears to listen, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so Philippians chapter 1. Just going to jump in right at verse 1, right? It says, it says Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just a little bit of context. This is uh, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, along with Timothy, who is a young man that he had discipled and trained, and he's, and he's raising up as a leader. Uh, Paul is writing this letter from prison, most likely in Rome. He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Uh, he's on trial and ultimately uh, we know that he ends up being executed for, for his faith in Christ and for preaching. And, and so, uh, so he's coming down to the end of his ministry. He knows that time is short, and he's writing this letter to this church in this city called Philippi, uh, and he's writing to encourage them while he sits in chains in jail. And so that's the context in which this letter is being written. And here's what he says in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers of me, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, my, uh, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Man, there's, there's so much in there and it's so rich and, and, uh, and I could really preach a whole sermon just on, on that, that paragraph and I'm, I'm not going to dive all the way into that today because I want to get the, the broad picture of everything that's happening in chapter one. But let me just say this, man, how much uh, uh, affection and love and joy are pouring out of him, thankfulness, gratitude, I just want you to picture yourself sitting in prison. You did everything right, right? You, you gave your life, you poured out your life uh, to share the good news of, of Jesus Christ. You, you, you did exactly what God wanted you to do, and you find yourself sitting in prison, very likely on your way to being executed. I just wonder how many of us would be writing a letter that's full of affection and joy and, and gratitude and hope. And so there's something here, right? If there's somebody that can have that sort of mindset, in that situation, I want to learn from them. I want to understand what makes them tick. I want to understand how they can grab a hold of that because I want some of that in my own life. And so the first thing that, that, that we see that becomes clear in this paragraph is that the work of this life that really matters is to be shaped into the image of Jesus. Ultimately, he says, hey, what's going to matter the most is being shaped into the likeness of Christ. And it really shines in verse 6, right, where it says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a couple powerful things that we can grab a hold of out of that. Number one, that, that God begins the work and God completes the work so that God gets the glory. Whatever's happening in your life, if you felt sort of the tug of the Holy Spirit, just maybe you haven't crossed over to put your faith in Jesus yet. Maybe you feel drawn to it, but you can't even explain why. Maybe the, the, the crisis of the moment that we're in has called you to really step back and think about life in a different kind of way. Maybe you are, are someone who's been following Jesus for a long time and is very active in the church and, and you feel disconnected and separated in this moment where we can't gather together. Whatever your situation is, it's so important that you recognize that, that if you're going to become more and more uh, the person that God made you to be. It's God who initiates the work. It's God who completes the work. And it's God who gets all the glory for it. And there, there's something really freeing about that uh, because it's not this project of, of self-improvement. Like I have to make myself into a person that's acceptable to God. No, God accepted me when I was broken and he loves me enough to begin to, to come into my life and to begin to clean up the things that are keeping me from him, the areas where I've veered off course, he wants to bring me back uh, because he loves me. And, and, and through that process, he's going to complete it. God doesn't give up on projects. I, I give up on projects very easily, right? I, I, I could tell you stories of the, how many things I've deconstructed, taken apart, got to the point I couldn't figure out how to do it. Uh, man, one time one of my kids' iPad screen cracked, and I'm like, I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure this out. So I ordered a replacement screen online. I started taking that thing apart. I watched some YouTube videos. I got it all back together, and it worked for about three seconds, and then the screen went crazy and um, I think it's still sitting in my office to this day, right? Like, I don't complete everything I do, but God is not like us. God completes what he starts. And if he started a work in you, he will bring it to completion. Paul says, I am sure of this. And so what does that look like as that's coming in our life? There's a number of things he points out here. One thing is that it's love abounding with knowledge and discernment. 
How many times do we see where, uh, where we start full of love, but then the more that we get to know a situation or we get to know a person or the more that we understand what makes them tick, sometimes that love fades because it wasn't really love, right? It was this superficial thing. It was this, uh, this uh, we, we felt drawn to them sometimes in a, in, a, in a relationship, it's lust. Sometimes it's just the desire to see something there, but, but sometimes the more knowledge we have, we don't, uh, our love decreases. But when, when Christ is working in us, the more knowledge and discernment that we have, that love abounds more and more. It's actually the exact opposite of all these uh, reality TV dating shows, right? <laughs> Where it's like, man, I love you so much when I don't know you at all, but the more that I get to know you, the more that I'm not sure if I love you or if I just love the idea of dating uh, 10 people at the same time. And <laughs> right, they end up in this conflicted state. God's not like that at all. With, with God, as he works in your life, the more that he gives you knowledge and the more that he gives you wisdom and discernment, the more that love will abound. You will overflow with the love of Jesus. He says that, secondly, that we'll prove what is excellent. We'll begin to love the things that God loves. And man, that is exactly, that's the best place to be. That's the best place you could ever be because when you love what God loves, you have this incredible confidence in your prayer that you're saying, man, my heart and my desire and my prayers are oriented towards things that I know that God himself wants to accomplish, that he wants to see. And so I can have this great confidence uh, that my prayers will be answered. Maybe not in the way I expect, maybe not in the timing I expect, but, uh, but, but, but when our affections are changed towards God's affections, it just, it brings uh, joy into our lives. Third, he says that we'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I don't know about you, but uh, I can't wrap my mind around that. I, uh, when I was really young and naive, I think I thought I was pretty pure and blameless. But even if I was honest with myself, there was a few flaws. Um, the, more that I, <laughs> the more that I read the Bible, the more that I understand God, the more that I understand myself, the more that I understand how I, how I am not pure and blameless. And yet, it tells us in Scripture that when God looks at us, he doesn't see all of our imperfections, all of our brokenness. What he sees is the perfect person of Jesus Christ, his perfect record, placed upon us. And so when he looks at us, he sees us as pure and blameless, and he's actually begun the project of, of turning us into people who will be pure and blameless when we stand before him. Man, that's just something that I can't even really wrap my mind around, but it's a, it's a cause for joy. He also says that we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. That we'll be fruitful. Not just, not a little bit of fruit, but we filled with fruit. I, I, let me just ask you this. Don't you want to live a life that matters? Don't you want to, at the end of your life, look back and say, wow, my life made a difference. And it wasn't me. It was God working through me. It was Jesus working through me. But I made myself available to him. And look what he accomplished. Can't help but think about Billy Graham, who just, who just passed uh, recently. And um, he had to be able to look back at his life aware of his flaws, aware of, of his inconsistencies, but to be able to look and say, wow, look at what God did through me. Now, I, I, don't, I don't expect that any of us are going to be the next Billy Graham. You and I, we're going to be the next. We're, I'm the next Ezra Strickhauser. You're the next whoever you are, right? Yeah, don't, don't try and pursue somebody else's legacy, but just put yourself available to God and say, God, what fruit can you bear through me? And, and we're promised that he's going to do that. And ultimately, when all that happens, the glory and the praise go to God. So it begins just, uh, the, the, the path to joy begins by understanding what makes a, a good life. And, and, and what makes for a good life is, is being shaped more and more uh, 
into the image of Christ, that to cooperate with God as he begins a good work in you and he sees it through to completion. And the more that you see that happening and you can get excited about it, the more the joy will begin to flow. Let's pick up in verse 12. It says, it says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and what has happened to him, he's, he's been imprisoned for the gospel. He's been, he's been taken in chains uh, to Rome and, and sits in a prison, right? And so says, I want you to know that that, I want you to know, brothers, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, you know what? In the midst of this bad situation, in, in the midst of me getting in prison, this is really serving for the advance of the gospel. And that's the second thing that I want you to see in this passage here today, that the gospel can advance in times of peace and in times of trial. And sometimes, and I would say almost always, <laughs> trial proves to be the more fertile soil. God can work in, in seasons of peace and he can work in seasons of brokenness. But when you think about sharing your own personal testimony, your life story, the, the significant moments, we go back to those, those challenging moments, those trials, those difficulties, those times where we're pushed to the limit and pushed to the edge and that's where we're really shaped. How many of us ever say like, hey, you know what really, really shaped my life was that, that year and a half of just relative peace where my job was good, relationships were good, you know, I was going out to some nice restaurants. There were some good shows on Netflix. Man, I just grew so much in that time. Nobody ever says that, right? I mean, that's what we're pursuing. That's what we want. There's nothing wrong with peace. We should enjoy it when we have it. But, but the reality is, is that, that, that the best moments of growth happen in trials. And, and the gospel often advances most powerfully in seasons of trial. The key verse here is verse 12, right? He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Understand this: God didn't God didn't create this uh, this coronavirus that uh, that that is impacting our entire world right now. God created. We're told in Genesis that He created, and everything was good. Everything that He made was good. And and disease, sickness, death did not enter in until Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God's way. And in their choosing that rebellion, all of this entered in. And so what we're seeing play out today is just the, the, the continuation of that, the continuation of the, the effects of sin on our world and, and, and disease and sickness and floods and famines and wars. All those things are a part of our world, but they weren't a part of the original design. They weren't a part of the way that God created it. And the good news is the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to restore everything back to the way that it was originally meant to be. That's an incredible source of hope, right? So God didn't create this disease, but he can redeem the situation for his purposes. We're told in this letter that Paul says, because of what was happening, because of his imprisonment, that believers were having greater boldness, uh, that even the gospel uh, proclaimed from improper motives could still bear fruit. And the result was he rejoiced. Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. 
I just want to invite you to, t to take a moment and think about that. In, in the midst of the trial, what is it? How can you see, is, is it possible that God could be using this to advance the gospel? Uh, maybe, maybe this is a time, if you're somebody who, who has always kind of been aware of Jesus but has never really put your faith in him, maybe the season of just slowing down and having things stripped away, the distractions are gone, uh, there's no sports on TV, uh, there's, uh, you can't go anywhere, right? Maybe in this season of slowing down, exactly what God wants to do is give you a little bit of time to get to know him. Maybe he wants you for the, for the first time to reach out and ask some of those questions that have been in the back of your head, but you haven't had a chance. And now maybe God is going to give you a little space and time uh, to do that. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you've been wanting to get a part of a Bible study and, and maybe you've been wanting to step in and kind of get to, to know the word a little bit better, but you just haven't had time. And now all of a sudden you're, you're presented with nothing uh, but time. And hey, I know, I know that's a little bit of an illusion because I know I feel busier this past week than I've felt in a long time. And I keep thinking like, man, I'm supposed to be, I thought this was going to be uh, uh, downtime. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was going to get all this reading done. And, and, you know, when you're in a house with four kids, there's not a lot of downtime. So I, I, I understand that's not the situation. But, uh, man, is God, if, if God's been put on your heart, is there a family member or a neighbor? Is there someone who, who now you're going to have the opportunity to, to, to speak, to have a deeper conversation with, to share a little bit about why, why you're taking this seriously, but, but you still have a hope and a joy. Is, is it just a season where God's going to push it on you to, to just reach out to the people that you love and let them know how much you love them and, and how much you care about them? How, how is the gospel going to advance? Uh, because the gospel can advance in good seasons and in bad. And in my personal experience and in the testimony of the Bible, it's often more through the trials that it's, it really advances continue on. He says, uh, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, Christ will turn this out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all shamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample calls to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The third thing I want you to grab out of this passage is that, that our desired outcome in life is to honor Jesus. And here's something really significant you need to grab a hold of. We can honor him both in life and in death. Some of the great heroes in history are those who gave their life to honor what they believed in. Uh, we think uh, Nathan Hale. He says, I, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. He was a, he was a spy um, in, the, in the Revolutionary War who was captured and, and upon uh, preparing for his execution by the British, his thought was, hey, I regret that I could only do this once. If I could do it a hundred times, I would do it a hundred times. That's how much I believe in the freedom that we're fighting for. And so it's very possible to bring great honor and glory uh, to God both through our lives and ultimately through our death. We think about Stephen. If you're familiar with the story of Stephen in the book of Acts, Stephen 
was uh, was identified as someone who was a faithful leader, and they wanted him to start helping the to distribute food to the poor, so that the apostles could really focus on prayer and, and studying the word. And he began to do that, and he did that faithfully. But he also began to to proclaim the word of Jesus uh, so boldly that they ultimately took him and they drug him out into the street, and the the religious leaders who opposed him. Uh, we're going to stone him to death. And so he delivers this amazing uh, message, just calling them out on their sin. And as they begin to stone him, he looks up and he says, it's God, don't, don't hold this sin against them. He prays for God to have mercy on those that are killing him. Man, my hope is that I honor Jesus in my life and ultimately in my death, that in, that in any way that I can bring honor uh, to him. This This... Verse, and this is what I wanted to kind of hinge everything on in the sermon today, right? To, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And let's, let's break that into two parts. Uh, we struggle with the second half, right? To die as gain. How many of us think about to die you know, would actually be gain because I get to go uh, be with Jesus? And, and listen, this, this is, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, this is really the idea that I want you to grab a hold of, that, that Paul was viewing things in, in, in a win-win scenario. There were no... There was no way that he was, he was not going to go on to something great. He said, on the one hand, if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. That's amazing. That's a win. That's kind of what I really want to do. But if I stay, I'll have fruitful ministry, and I know that's to your benefit, and so I, I, I desire to do that as well. So whatever way it goes, I'm at peace. Now, we struggle, and, 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 and hear me clearly on this. I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago in the First Corinthians study that uh, we don't welcome death. We don't pursue death. We don't desire death. Death is the enemy of Jesus, and it's going to be the final enemy that he puts under his feet. And so I'm in no way saying that we should, we should look forward to death or that we should celebrate death in any way. Death is the enemy of Christ, and it was not part of God's original creation, and death will ultimately be defeated, and we can take great confidence in that. But what I'm saying to you is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, if you know that you're forgiven and you, you know that he loves you and that, that, he, uh, that he has purchased your forgiveness and he has nailed your sin to the cross, then you know that the worst case scenario for you is that you die and you get to go be with Jesus. And that's a pretty good outcome. But most of us kind of understand this at some level, but we haven't really processed this. And, and, and that's, that's a, a significant step towards joy. To say, hey, listen, I don't want to die. Death is the enemy. That's not, that's not what I want. But if that were to happen, I get to go be with Jesus. I get to go be with my creator who made me and he loves me and I have confidence in him. And so, uh, so if that's the worst outcome, I'm okay with that. I'm at peace with that. Now the flip side, right? To me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If we can become uh, at peace with to die as gain, then we've got to go back to say to live as Christ. Paul said with utter confidence, he said, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And this is the part that really got me when I studied this this week. Um, can I say that about my own life, right? If God gives me another 20 years, am I confident? Like, well, hey, if you give that to me, Lord, I know that's going to be a time filled with fruitful labor. I think we're in a season right now where we're all kind of stepping back. Everything is kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of reevaluating everything vocationally. Hey, am I going to continue to have a job? Um, you know, uh, what's my responsibility if I have kids and, and family? Uh, we're just kind of reprioritizing and just looking at everything. And it's a great season to say, like, hey, is, is my life geared around fruitful ministry? Is Jesus working in and through me to do amazing things 
for which he gets the glory. If you're sitting there today and you can honestly say, yeah, I, I don't know that that's, honestly, I don't know. I don't think that I'm, I would characterize my life as being full of fruitful ministry. Then I would encourage you that if you want to find joy, that's the direction that you need to go. You need to start thinking about, hey, Lord, how have you uniquely created me? What is the Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship and he created us to do good works. God, what's the good work that you've created me to do? What are the things that I, I, I'm uniquely prepared and, and created to do? And, and what are the ways that you can bear fruit in my life? Who are the people that are in my life right now that you want me to reach out to? Um, what, what's the greatest impact that I can have right now in this season? These are the questions, man, because so many times we just pour our lives out in pursuit of comfort. We're just, we're just trying to get the next thing. I was reading an ancient book of wisdom this morning. It's called Ecclesiastes. It was, it was written by the, one of the most wise and wealthy uh, and powerful men to ever live. And ultimately what he says in the book, he says, hey, you know, all that pursuit of all that stuff, it's just chasing after the wind. None of those things ultimately bring satisfaction or joy. You accumulate stuff to hand it off to somebody else when you die who didn't work for it and didn't earn it. And they're going to get the benefit of it, right? He, he basically says there's, there's uh, all these pursuits will leave you empty. And I'm here to tell you that the thing that will bring you joy is if you can say, hey, for me to live as Christ, if God, if you give me five more years, 10 more years, 20 more years, 60 more years, whatever you give me, man, that's going to be a season of fruitful labor. If, if, you, if you can say that with honesty and sincerity and make yourself available to God for that, that will bring you joy. And then you say, hey, and for, to me, to die is gain if I get to go be with them. Here, here's, a, here's a crazy thing. Here's a crazy story that's in the book of Acts, right? So, so Paul has, has ministered. Uh, he, he's done amazing things. He's started churches. He's seen people come to, to Jesus. He's performed miracles. He's done all these crazy things. He gets arrested for preaching the gospel he appeals, and so they're sending him to Rome. He gets in a shipwreck. They're in this crazy storm. They're like trapped at sea. Everybody thinks they're going to die. And, and Paul says, hey, God told me we're not going to die. We're gonna, well, the ship's going to be lost, but we're going to make it to shore. Uh, there is a shipwreck. They make it to shore. They get out. Uh, they're, they're gathering wood to build a fire. This poisonous snake comes out of the wood as Paul's doing it and bites him on the hand. And Paul looks at it, and he shakes it in the fire, and he just keeps going. And everybody's looking at him like, why? why didn't he drop dead? What's happening? And I think Paul was just so confident <laughs> after all, of, all that he had been through. He was just so confident of what God was accomplishing through his life. He says, hey, God is completely responsible for my story. And if he just brought me through a crazy storm at sea and a shipwreck and I've made it to shore and now I'm cold and I'm shivering, and I need a fire, and I'm building a fire, and if a snake bites me that's poisonous, if that's how God wants the story to end, I'm all right with that. But in the meantime, I'm just going to keep building the fire. Uh, it, it gave him this bulletproof quality, right, that he said, hey, you know what, this too, Pfft, forget it, you know? Man, I want to live with that sort of confidence. I, I want to live with that, that, that sort of uh, ability to just say, hey, I'm setting my eyes on the prize. God, I'm going after what you've laid out in front of me. Come what may, there's going to be things. Uh, there's there's going to be snakes that, that bite you. There's going to there's going to be viruses. There's going to be there's going to be squirrels that build a nest in the engine of your car. You just got to keep going. 
the mundane things, the huge things, but you can have a joy and a confidence if your own mission, the mission that God has created for you, that, that, that you just you just keep going and you just entrust it to God and it, it actually brings joy into your life. Well, he closes this section out by saying this. He says, uh, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or if I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The fourth thing, and this is the final thing that, that we see in this chapter, is that uh, our manner of life should be worthy of the gospel. We want to live a life worthy of the gospel. Well, what does that look like? It says right here in the passage, right? We're standing firm in one spirit. We have one mind striving side by side for the faith. Christianity is not an individual activity, right? It's done in community. It's, it's the way that he says, hey, the way that I know that you're going to live a, manner, a life that's worthy of the gospel is if you're doing it arm in arm, side by side with brothers and sisters who are following Jesus together because he can do more together with you than, than you can do individually. And, and so, so you, that's one of the signs that you're living a life worthy of the gospel, that you're not frightened in anything by your opponents. doesn't mean that you're not threatened. It doesn't mean the opponents aren't scary. It doesn't mean you're not wise. It doesn't mean you're not washing your hands and keeping social distancing, right? But, but, but what it means is that you're not filled with fear. You're not driven by fear. You're not motivated out of fear. And then he says something really peculiar, right? He says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you, not only that you believe in Christ, but it's also been granted to you that you would suffer for his sake. To know him in his sufferings. To follow the same path that Jesus followed. To follow the same path that Paul followed. Um, that uh, Paul Miller would, would call this the J-curve, right? It's a death and it's a resurrection. And, and suffering comes on us in different ways. Sometimes we bring it upon ourselves. Sometimes it's just a result of sin in the world, like this coronavirus. Sometimes uh, we enter into suffering because we're trying to do what Jesus wants us to do, and the world is, op is opposing it and pushing back against it. However we enter suffering, our suffering can be redeemed if, if we determine that we're going to enter into it through the power of Christ and that we're going to go through it with Christ and that we're going to seek to glorify him. And the promise that we see is that there will be a resurrection. That resurrection can look like a lot of different things. But what it tells us in the Bible is that that's one of the ways that we really get to know Jesus is when we know him in his sufferings. To become like him. So I want to say this in conclusion. What is uncertainty anyways? I talked about joy in the midst of uncertainty. What is uncertainty, right? Uncertainty simply means that we aren't certain of what will happen. And so let me ask you this. What, what are you truly certain of in your life? Will, you, will your health remain good? Will, will your job continue to be there? Will, will your relationships continue to flourish? Most of what we think of as a certainty is, uh, is not. We don't have guarantees on any of those things. And, 
And I'm not trying to discourage you in that. I'm just, I'm just trying to say that, uh, that we think that our life is built on a little bit firmer of a foundation than what it really is. And in seasons like this, when some of that is pulled back, it starts to, it can feel like we're in free fall because the things that we thought were certain are no longer certain. And so uncertainty is, is, is a reality of the human condition, but, so, but what is certain? Certainty is, is John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he so loved you, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Certainty is what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. God loves you. He's offering you forgiveness. He wants you to spend eternity with him. Now you might be thinking, hey, Ezra, you're just, those are things that it says in the Bible. How do you know that that's any more certain than anything else? And this is where faith comes in. I have faith that these truths are the most solid and real thing that we as humans can know. You may place your faith in something else, but I want to encourage you to have the, the, the authenticity to acknowledge that whatever you're putting your faith in, whatever you're believing in, it takes a leap of faith. If you believe that we're an evolutionary biological accident and that when we die, nothing happens, you're expending faith to believe that that's the truth and that's going to impact the way that you live your life. If you believe that there's a good and loving creator who made us and that his word is true, that takes faith. But ultimately, all these ideas are not equal. There will come a time when we die and we will find out exactly what is ultimately true and what is ultimately not true. And so I want to encourage you that, that, that you should build your life upon the, the foundation of, of this certainty. That the more that I've studied this book, the more that I've dug into it, the more that I've sought to live it out uh, with, with knowledge and discernment, my love for the God who, who speaks through this book has grown because I've seen more and more how firm a foundation he provides. If you want joy in the midst of uncertainty, the only way to get that is to put your feet on something certain. And that certain thing is God's love for you. And, and you can enter into that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you say, man, that sounds amazing, but I don't, I don't know. That's great that Jesus did that, but I don't know that I have what he's offering. I want to encourage you that you can have that today, right now in this moment. That, that you can just pray and say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. That you died in my place for the forgiveness of my sins. And that because of that, that I will be able to spend eternity with you. I believe that you really love me. And I believe that I'm fully forgiven. And if you say that prayer, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And so if you just did that right now, the Bible tells us that you're saved, that you've received eternal salvation. And, and as a church, we would love to walk alongside you and to figure out how to live that fruitful life that we talk about so that, we can, that you can say to live as Christ and to die as gain. Um, you can email us, riverside 
at riversideconnect.com. Uh, there's nothing that we would love more than to get an email from you telling us your story, telling us what God's been doing. If you live here in the community, uh, we'd love to begin to connect you into our church. If you live somewhere else, uh, we'll help you find a good local church wherever you live uh, so that you can have biblical community, that you connect with people and, and live that life together. Um, friends, I genuinely have joy in the midst of everything that's going on. I have a peace that passes understanding. I have moments of difficulty and struggles. Everything's not sunshine and rainbows. Uh, but, but at the core of my experience right now is, is a, a, just an utter peace and a knowledge that God is in control uh, and that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I so hope that you'll have that as well. Let me pray as we close today. Father God, we thank you uh, that, uh, that you offer us hope and encouragement in the midst of difficult things. Uh, that none of us likes to go through trials or difficulties. None of us is celebrating what's going on in the world right now. Uh, but we recognize that you can work all things together for good. And uh, that as this passage said, that, uh, that what has happened is actually serving to advance the gospel. Uh, Lord, advance the gospel. Use us. Give us peace. Give us hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.